Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Let me begin by expressing my appreciation to Pastor Timon and the leadership of City Reach Church for giving me the privilege to share from God's Word. And we're continuing the series on challenging questions, and I'm going to be speaking how to be truly successful. Um, if you can put up the PowerPoint, please, Steve. Uh, so thank you for the partnership and the gospel that we've shared. Uh, your family's been praying for and supporting the early family, and they've been integrated here, and um, Francis, and we look forward to uh, facilitating Francis following Jesus in East Asia. Uh, in terms of further introduction, sometimes to new groups of people, I joke, I can only say this in Australia, but that I'm CIA. Uh, nothing to do with chasing terrorists, I'm antically Chinese. I was born in Indonesia at the age of 10, our family emigrated to Australia. Back in 71, though, it was a very different Australia. The immigration policy was called, does anyone know? The White Australia Policy. I think it's one of those embarrassing moments of Australian history. Um, obviously, I'm not white. So God intervened. My dad was an aeronautical engineer. He worked for Indonesian Airways, and he was able to get a job in Qantas. So when I went to year seven at school, I understand this is a school here. Uh, how many non-whites do you reckon was in year seven with me? None. I was the only one. And children the world over are the same. They always pick on somebody who's different. And so I got bullied a lot. As you can see, I'm not very big. I didn't learn Kung Fu, so I couldn't bash them up. <laughs> so a lot of the tauntings, um, I was deeply wounded. I have um, some lunch times I would just be on my own because that way I didn't get bullied. In those days, even the teachers would bully students. My English teacher thought it would be a great joke to use my surname as a spelling test word. At that time, my surname was Tetek Joandi. So guess how many people got that right? <laughs> One. <laughs> Me. So sometimes it has advantages. So anyway, all those bullying and I was really wounded. And I share this because as we think about the concept of how to be truly successful, well, did I feel like a success? I felt like a total failure. At the age of 16, in my home church, God opened my eyes that throughout this world, there are millions and millions of people who've never heard of Jesus. And I responded to invitation. I came to the front of the church and I said, Lord, if you want to send me as your witness, here am I. I'm willing to go. But what could a shy, I was an introvert, well, still am personality-wise, deeply wounded 16-year-old, what could I do? I could hardly talk to anyone. So I thought, well, if I studied medicine, I could demonstrate the practical love of Jesus. So I went to University of New South Wales. My first day at university, I looked around and I suffered culture shock. All these foreigners, where did they come from? So going from the whitest part of Sydney to University of New South Wales, and one step at a time, God gave me a love for these overseas students, many who have never heard of Jesus Christ, and I started sharing. I made lots of mistakes. And so some of you who are university students, look around. God's bringing people from all over the world to our doorsteps. And many of them have never heard of Jesus. Sadly, most university students coming from overseas, they spend four, five, six years here studying. They never 
got invited to an Australian home. Those, when I hear of people who have opened their homes, particularly followers of Jesus, they have many great opportunities to share. So at the age of 23, I went from that feeling like a total failure, nobody. At the age of 23, I graduated as a medical doctor. I had a beautiful blonde girlfriend. My dad thought of me as a success. I only remembered my dad saying to me, I'm proud of you twice in my entire life up to then. The first time was when I got into medicine. The second time was when I was graduating as a medical doctor. I was thinking, Dad, in other times, didn't I do anything? Anyway. So there I was in the pinnacle of success. Several years later, God convicted me whether I was willing to leave medicine to train to become a missionary, to study theology. Guess where I went in my dad's eyes? Up here on par with an aeronautical engineering, down here somewhere. I never quite figured out how low in his eyes I went, but I knew it was pretty low. We had arguments. When he said to me, son, why would you leave a prestigious, financially secure career of medicine in Australia to do what? To become what? He said, you're going to become a beggar. Because he knew I was interested in joining SIM, as you had heard, Francis today, for me, 30-some years ago, SIM workers, we invite people to partner with us, to pray with us, and to support us financially. So he said to me, you're going to go around churches, you're going to beg for people to support you. And the first year I went to study in Africa, study theology, my dad didn't communicate to me. He said, you're a rebel, you don't listen to what I do, go your own way. I was a failure in his eyes. But even out of that pain, the years I was in Bible college, it drove me to study the Word, it drove me to Jesus, to ask the question, well, how does Jesus define success? And what I found astounding is that many people say they follow Jesus, but they don't know how Jesus defines success. So how could we follow someone and we don't know what his idea of success is? But before I dive into that, I just want to assure you, those of you that God is in a gathering this size, there are dozens of you that God, Jesus is calling you, come follow me like Francis. Follow Jesus, be his witnesses overseas. Because as it is today, as it was 30-some years ago, there are still millions and millions of communities where they have not heard of Jesus Christ. And I'm unapologetically pleading with those of you that God has brought to Australia don't tend to think this is the land of milk and honey. I've escaped the poverty of the Indonesia for my case. Why would I ever want to go to poverty again to follow Jesus and be his witness? So to follow Jesus is a great adventure. I survived being chased by an elephant. I didn't survive being chased by a woman. <laughs> No, I did the chasing, and I um, and Kay, I was able to capture her, so to say. We got married the following year. Just to further diversify my life, Kay is from America. And um, we decided to make Australia home, and so we returned to Australia, spent some years for her to gain her citizenship, and I returned into general practice work, and God called us a second time to go to Kenya 
to serve uh, as the next slide showed the, the church that I mentioned that was rapidly growing, then I came back here. So Chinese, Indonesian, Australian dad, American mum, you might think our kids are confused. Um, this family photo here, Eric's a physiotherapist. I mean, they look like reasonably adjusted children, don't they? <laughs> They're actually in good company. You may not be aware that that, that generation, um, a quarter of people in that generation have multiple heritage. Uh, so as I said, Australia is very different to 71. Um, they went to the same high school I went. Ironically, it became a selective school. I don't know whether you have that system here, but it's, it's, you've got to pass all these tests to get into this school. It was a government school, but selective. So guess how many are non-whites? The majority. <laughs> they're, they're, they're Chinese and uh, Indians, and uh, so my kids never got bullied. <laughs> Rachel's studying law and arts. Uh, she's actually in Turkey right now doing some home, homeschooling for some missionaries. Uh, to help the, the mum and dad focus on language learning, and Stephen is studying in business. How to be truly successful. I think most people want to be successful. I haven't met somebody who wakes up every morning thinking, I want to be a failure. Now, it might be in different areas, so I believe most people desire it, and yet it's often elusive. You get a little bit of success here and you feel like a failure elsewhere. For example, in Kenya, I knew an ambassador of Kenya in a nation that you would think, ambassador, wow, he must be a success. But he felt like a total failure in one area. He had nine daughters. I think if you were to offer him that he would have a son instead of being an ambassador, he would grab having a son. So I think we feel like a success or like a failure. A lot of it depends on how we define success. Because the reality of it is no matter how much you have, there is other areas. And so where might you feel more like a failure, more like a success? Where might you be in between? And I think what we actually do is that we give other people the power to define what success is to us. So it's a bit like we say to mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me I'm the most beautiful of all. You know, what, what is that? That's Snow White, is it? Or Cinderella? One of those. <laughs> so what we do is we empower people, the next slide please, and say mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me if I'm a success or not. So for most of my growing up years, I was looking to my dad to tell me I'm a success. I loved it when he said, I'm proud of you, when I was getting to medicine, when I was graduating. But when I was leaving medicine, he told me, you're a failure. And so who have you given the power to define whether you're a success or not? Now, for the younger ones among you, maybe you need to change the word whether you're popular or not. You might not use the word success as much. But whether I'm popular, whether people like me, we say that. So let's think about how do they define success? And if we ask people in the world, like if you were to survey at Westfield or something, how, do, how to be successful in the eyes of the world? So how do people in the world define success? So I want to give you some moments to talk to the person next to you, just 90 seconds, and consider how does the people in the world, those who are not followers of Jesus, define success? 
how to be successful in their eyes. Okay, so just turn to the person next to you, 90 seconds, just very short, brief points. Let me um, ask a few people just to shout really loud from wherever you are. What the world, how does the world define success? How to be successful? Money, not just little though, lots of it. <laughs> lots of money, yep. And what money can buy? Power. Fame. Family. Family, yes, as I described, this man who's an ambassador, yes, nine daughters, but he wished he had a son. Um, so, yeah, whether you're married or not, now it does make a difference whether you have a handsome husband or a, uh, who has a high-paying salary. And if you're a man, it makes a difference whether your wife is beautiful. So, or if your girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, you've got to have a good-looking girlfriend. You can't just have any, any girlfriend. They've got to be good-looking to be a success. What else? How we look. How we look, yep. And that's just increasing pressure on, on male as well as on female now. The women might be thinking, well, it's about time they get a bit of pressure. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, how we look. And all these emphasis on looking young. And, and yeah, it's all about appearance, isn't it? What else? Influence, influence yep. Prestige, yeah, like influence, like how many followers you have on Twitter or when you post something, you know, how many likes you get. Prestige, education, degrees, letters after your name, peace. Yeah, I'm not sure the world consider much about peace, to be honest with you. Uh, oh, not to be in conflict. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, to be to be peaceful with with relatives, friends. Is that what you mean? In, with the family? Yeah. Okay, I thought you meant global peace and all that. <laughs> Trump doesn't think global peace. Anyway, one one or two more. The house. Yeah, but it's got to be a fancy house, right? Not, not just a house. And it also has to be where it's located. So last one. Anybody, I don't want to deprive anybody of saying what they think. How famous you are. How famous you are. Okay, the younger ones are shy. There's one thing that younger people think is the pinnacle of success. Beside popularity, beside how many likes you get on Facebook, it's about your experience. Like, have you done the bungee jumping, skydiving, exotic holidays, and all that sort of stuff? So, all right, here's a bit of a list. I think most of the things that we have, I think if you bought a bottle of mine, sum it all up, it's, it's what you possess, whether you've, you have these things, whether it be uh, material possessions, the relationships we have, whether we have the natural talents, uh, power, position, prestige, we've said all those things, and then the experiences. Um, because now we have Facebook envy. You never knew so many people had so much better life than you did. <laughs> so why do you want to go on Facebook? You were feeling pretty good about your life till you go on Facebook and you feel miserable because everybody else is having a better time than you. And, and you forget that they put the best photo 
Like, they don't put photos of when they woke up in the morning, do they? Whether it be the people in Hollywood, etc. So, being successful in the eyes of the world, I would suggest, is essentially a bit of a generalization, maybe a bit of a simplification, one word. It's what you possess. Okay, so that's how the people in the world define success. Uh, next slide is what you possess. Now, let's think about how do most Christians define success most of the time? How to be successful in the eyes of most Christians most of the time? Let me show you the list. Um, that wasn't an error. Do you reckon there's any difference? People in the world, most Christians, most of the time, are we not after the same things? With a couple of modifications. I think we believe we need to get there by honest hard work. Um, people in the world might just lie, cheat, steal, bribe, whatever, tread on people. We believe as Christians we will get there. And then if you're a certain line of denominations, you name it and claim it, and you exercise faith, other denominations, you be true to the word of God, and this is what you'll get. Is that being too hard? So what I'm raising is, how does Jesus define success? Is this the list Jesus says? That's what it means to be a success in my eyes. But get there by true being honest, hard work, and by faith. So I want to be pushing hard. Can I ask hard questions? Yes. I, um, in my culture, and years in Africa, I'm supposed to drop hints and be subtle, but I don't have all night, and you don't either. Um, so if you would allow me to be Aussie and be direct. Um, so I'm talking about the practice, the action. So this next diagram out of South America, they often talk about you could have the theory of we want to be a success in the eyes of Jesus. What does it look like? Back uh, one slide, please. What does it mean to be a success in his eyes in action? So somebody said about the house we live in. Well, because my wife Kay and I spent the bulk of our early working life as volunteers or studying Bible college, we didn't have much savings when it was time to buy a house. And it was good for me because we only looked at five houses because that was all that was in the market that we could afford. I mean, who wants to spend hours looking at houses? We moved in and our friends helping us and one friend looked around the house and said, oh, this is a nice house for a first house. I thought, is that a compliment? Or a bit of a dig. I think back then, 24 years ago, it was a bit of a compliment. If I'm still in the same house 24 years later, is that comment a compliment or a bit of an insult? So, Stephen, when we returned from Kenya, he was only four years old. He doesn't have memories of, of people living in abject poverty, which is a lot of people in Nairobi. For most of the years, between 8 and 12, Stephen thought we were poor. And he was embarrassed with the house we lived in. All his friends, except for one that I knew of, lived in better houses. And Stephen and I would have conversations that went something like this, when he would say to me, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia. Because then you could have earned lots of money. We could buy a bigger house, two stories with a swimming pool, and you could buy me. He had a long list of things I could buy him. 
I tried to explain Stephen for your mum and I, life is not about us, not about the house we live in, the cars we drive. It's about following Jesus and doing what he wants us to do. He replied, Dad, you can say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. People at church do that. What confused Stephen was that some of his friends go to church. So he doesn't get how come they get to live in a mansion at the waterfront and we have... Now, by the way, please don't feel sorry for me. The house we live in keeps us reasonably warm in winter, dry in summer, uh, dry when it's raining, fairly cool in summer. I mean, what more do we need from a house? But I freely admit it was, it still is a struggle that my son thought of me as a failure compared to the dads of his friends. Well, how does Jesus define success? Let's turn our attention, but you might want to think 10 seconds where you might be striving to be successful in the eyes of the world because we have this whirlpool of self-absorption, this world's definition of success, what it means to be a success in their eyes. How to be truly successful in the eyes of Jesus. Now, I'll go through the Bible reading quickly because it's not so much understanding of it, it's how we apply it. So the book that I've written on redefining success is only 80 pages. Um, I say it probably takes about four hours to read, but it takes a lifetime to apply. Luke 12, I think is where it's clear where Jesus defines success. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus went straight to the issue. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus directly contradicted how the world understands or says what it means to be successful. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because real life is not measured by how much we own. This was a difficult concept to understand for them, even back then. So he illustrates with this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to swell my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The all-Australian dream or the all-American dream to retire early. And this actually passes sometimes, I think, of Steve Jobs. Like, who would not want to be Steve Jobs? But as God said to this man... The next verse, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? At the point when the rich fool thought he was a success, felt secure, had nothing to worry about, he was moments from his death. Steve Jobs, as far as I know, never gave God the credit for making, giving him the gifts of such creativity he never acknowledged Jesus as Lord. What did it gain him? All that apple. And this is the warning Jesus gives. He says, this is how it will be with whoever 
with anyone storing up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. So now what we're going to look at is if Jesus says success is not about what you possess, if you want to be successful in my eyes, it's not about what you possess, that list. It's about being rich towards God. Do you know, what does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, Jesus went on to say, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the birds, they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? How to be truly successful in the eyes of Jesus? It begins, as Pastor Timon said, not about what we do, it's about who we are. It's about being God's child, full stop. I've had good careers and people think, you know, I've been um, a doctor and a pastor and all that. I try to remember, ultimately, I am a child of God. I've been promoted to the highest position I could ever attain before I became a doctor or a pastor or whatever. And to be dependent on God more than to be self-sufficient. So the next thing then God says, this is the second point of being rich towards God, says don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink, don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. So Jesus is saying, people who don't believe in me, the pagans, they are orphans. Because they don't acknowledge God as Father, who do they have to look after them? No wonder they are fretful, anxious. But we who have God as our Father, we don't need to be fretful. And he says, the father, your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. So the second is to be kingdom focused rather than to be self-absorbed. And he went on to say, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted with. No thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? What's demonstrated by my bank account, my credit card spending, my priorities? Where is our treasure? Not the theory that we say all to Jesus, I surrender, take my life. What's the practice? Let's be bold. If we were to um, show our friends our spending, what will it demonstrate about where our treasure might be? So the third point, Jesus says, be generous to the poor. Now, sometimes we think we're poor. So let's do a bit of reality check, and maybe not now, but when you go home, Check out globalrichlist.com and put your annual income. Or those of you who don't have it working yet, might be still studying. I met some girls who are um, studying. Put your parents' annual income. Ask them. Put that in. And if I put 55,000, globalrichlist.com, 
that is still the top 1% most wealthy people on this globe. And we in Australia think we are poor. I keep telling Stephen, Stephen, we are not poor. Well, he kept comparing himself to those who have mansions on the waterfront. And he feels poor. So to sum it up, how to be truly successful according to Jesus. Um, by the way, if you're interested in, in getting a copy of my book, um, it's out of print, but I can send you a PDF. So at the SIM display, there's a sign-up sheet. You can just write your name and your email address and also your uh, mobile number because sometimes I can't read people's writing and the email bounce, so then we might need to text you what is the email address. Um, and we could send you the, the PDF um, I invite a donation of $10. I use it as a fundraising for a school in Pakistan um, where they're, they're the only light in that community. I can't give any more details than that, um, but they're, they're a bright light in, in a challenging um, context in, uh, in the nation of Pakistan. Um, so to be dependent upon God as his child, that's being his child, to be kingdom-centered rather than self-absorbed and to be generous to the poor. A warning from somebody a long time ago. Um, there's a, a quote uh, quoted by Francis Chan in a book called Crazy Love, where he said, It is not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism, that in our day in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. That was a man, Huntington, back in 1890. God gave him a prophetic voice. Even back then, Christians were enticed by materialism. Will you be truly successful? Well, it depends whether you're going to live according to how the world defines success or according to how Jesus defines success. So in a moment when we're standing, I will ask for an outward response and I will ask you to raise your hands wherever you are. Um, and by raising your hand, you're, you're declaring to Jesus, I want to be as successful in your eyes, more than in the eyes of the world. For that to happen, we all need to see Jesus more clearly. That Jesus would outshine the glitter of this world. That Jesus would be so real to us that what he says of us will mean more than what other people say of us. That we could resist the whirlpool of self-absorption. It's going to be hard. You might have close people to you, like I did, my dad and my son Stephen. One time Stephen said, hey dad, I just, I just realized something. He says, both your dad and I, your son, wanted you to stay in, as a medical doctor in Australia. I said, thanks, son, for reminding me. Yes, you both thought of me as failures. Um, now my dad and I have reconciled, and, and he thinks of me as a success now. Um, so in that sense, we've reconciled. But for a long time, I had my dad think of me as a failure. For many years, my son thought of me as a failure. So we could be ridiculed by people close to us. So let me close with the motivation. Why bother? Well, there is that warning when God says to the rich fool, you fool, tonight will be demanded from you your life. What will happen to all your riches? I mean, who wants to hear from God, you fool? Would we not rather hear, well done, good and faithful servant?
So when it's hard, it gets back to the motiv motivation. Why bother? And I want to be clear that I'm not trying to guilt anyone or trying to twist anybody's for fear because those motivations won't last. The only motivation would be love for God, that it means more what God says of me, and love for people, including people who've never heard of Jesus Christ. So we, if we're going to be downwardly mobile, if we're going to downsize, if we're going to be generous to the poor, if we're going to set a limit to our lifestyle, as my wife has decided, we'll just stay in the same house. We will not keep moving to a bigger, better house. I mean, who wants to move anyway? It's such a headache. Um, but set that stopping point so that we can keep giving, giving more and more. The only motivation that will last will be love. So I'll close with this story. So when I was first heading, similar to um, the, what Francis will do, um, I don't know whether you'll get a good farewell party like I did, Francis. Um, my good friends wanted to give me a really good send-off. And so at that time, um, at a hotel in Sydney, they had a chocolate festival. So you come into a big room, similar size to this room, like a ball ballroom. It was pretty expensive. My friends paid for me. And all these tables lined with everything chocolate you could imagine. It was a buffet and you could serve and have as much as you like, and I did. You know those liqueur-scented chocolates and the parfait and ice cream? And so eventually I had to go to the bathroom. And I passed by another hall where there was a medical conference, the board about the topics and the speakers. While I was washing my hands, two doctors walked in and I started to have these deep thoughts. You can enjoy this lifestyle doesn't have to happen because your friends paid for you. If you stay working as a medical doctor in Australia, seven to ten years, you'll get invitations to attend these sort of conferences. Work as a medical doctor in Australia, 15, 20 years, you'll be earning a lot of money. You can afford to stay in hotels like this for your holidays. But you're throwing it away, giving it up. What for? Is it worth it? you might be tempted with the same question as you seek to be a success in the eyes of Jesus more than in the eyes of the world. Is it worth it? Please remember that's the wrong question. For me, I wasn't giving up that lifestyle for my home church, Karimba Baptist, or for SIM. Why did I give up that lifestyle? To follow Jesus. The question needs to always be, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth that much? And I had one of those rare unnerving experiences if the Lord Jesus walked into that bathroom and asked me, Omar, am I worth this much to you? The presence felt, of Jesus felt so real, I wanted to shout, yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more because you died for me. Paul puts it best, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, for the love of Christ compels us, motivates us, because we're convinced that he died for all, that those who live, those of us who've received his gift of life, should no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who died for us and was raised again. Jesus is worth that much. Jesus is worthy of our entire devotion. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people of all nations. Will you stand as we close in prayer?
Let me give us some moments of quietness for us to keep listening to Jesus. Maybe Jesus speaking to you about specific areas, how to be truly successful in his eyes. And you also may want to respond and declare to him what he is worthy of from you. Jesus always says to us, come, come to me just as you are. And I invite all of us to come to Jesus and whatever he's been saying, stirring, that you would respond. If the Holy Spirit has been convicting you about areas where you might have been succumbing to the temptations of self-absorption, that you might confess that and be willing to repent and turn away from that. As we confess our sins, let us hear God's word when he says to us, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that in Christ there is no condemnation. Receive the forgiveness and cleansing of Christ. And I sense many of us feel weak to overcome the whirlpool of self-absorption. And the good news is that we don't have to do it in our own strength. Jesus is the Messiah, the rescuer. He can rescue us from ourselves. We only need to cry out to him, Lord, rescue me. And so if that's your cry, I invite you just where you are to raise your hand. Maybe you raise both hands like a child asking their dad to lift them up. And that God might lift you up on his powerful shoulders. And you might want to say, Lord, reveal yourself to me that you would be clearer. That you would be more real than what this world offers. Than the glitter, the fluff of this world. You might be wanting to say, Lord, I'm desperately thirsty and I've been trying to quench my thirst with more possessions. He alone can satisfy. So just where you are, I invite you to raise your hands. And in raising your hands, I'm not asking you to be super spiritual. In fact, it's the opposite. You're declaring your weakness and your desperate need of Him that He alone can satisfy. And he alone can empower us. Will you go from here and be the child of God he calls us to be? To be kingdom focused and to be generous. If that's the cry of your heart, just where you are, raise your hands. Father, we continue to cry out to you. We come to you just as we are. We worship you as the Lord creator who knows us completely. You know, Father, where we are vulnerable and that's why we're crying out to you. And hear the cries of my sisters and brothers. And remember, my sisters and brothers, that Jesus has said to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Receive his empowering 
And it's Jesus who says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come, let her come and drink. Whoever believes in me from them shall flow rivers of life-giving water. Receive the quenching of your thirst as the Holy Spirit continues to come and fill us. And let's overflow and let the Holy Spirit flow through us that our lives will distribute His life-giving water. We commit one another to your Father, to your grace, to your peace and to your love. In Jesus' name, Amen.